Well, Choir, your message of uh, hailing King Jesus is actually incredibly uh, appropriate and foreseeing for our message and the passage we're going to be looking at in Scripture this morning. So I know that wasn't planned, but uh, thank you very much for that. Well, the events of uh, Tuesday evening this week left 50% of us feeling incredibly elated and 50% of us feeling bitterly disappointed, although I think 100% of us were left feeling surprised that we were actually able to go to bed at around uh, 10 p.m. rather than the wee hours of the morning, and uh, our plans, or at least my plans, to have a good excuse to come in late to the office the next morning were totally ruined. (laughs) And as the week has gone on, it continues to be clear that we do live in a divided country. A couple weeks ago, I heard someone who I heard from someone who actually was planning to leave the country if uh, Obama got reelected. Not just sort of the empty words that you sometimes hear, but actually making plans uh, to move. But then later that same day, I was over at uh, the rec center here in town, and I overheard a conversation between one of the uh, trainers and her client. And the client was saying that any woman who voted for Romney needed to go and have her head professionally examined. And if we're honest, most of us have probably expressed similar sentiments on one side or the other. And I thought it would be helpful on this Sunday, not just the Sunday after the election, but especially on this uh, Veterans Sunday, to take a step back and ask the question, what is the Bible's vision for civil government? What role does God intend for it to have? Christians, of course, are known for better or for worse for enthusiastically uh, endorsing candidates. Billy Graham even did it this year. Uh, A number of churches do it, even though they're increasingly being threatened by the government with a loss in their tax-exempt status. But the fact is, the Bible is not so much interested in telling us how to vote as it is in telling us how to deal with the results, how to live in relation to the government that we do have. Jesus comments on it when he says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Uh, Paul goes on at some length about it in Romans chapter 13. And in the passage we're going to look at this morning, Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, uh, talks quite a bit about it as well. I'm going to be reading from 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 13, where Peter says this, Submit to every human authority because of the Lord, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors as those sent out by him to punish those who do what is evil and praise those who do what is good. For it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. As God's slaves, live as free people, but don't use your freedom as a way to conceal evil. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. And if you, uh, if you have your Bibles open and you scan a little further ahead, you see that Peter, he's not just concerned about uh, government. He goes on to talk about a number of things in this passage. He says, maybe you're a household servant and you work for a harsh master. Or maybe you're a wife who has a husband that looks down on you because you're a Christian. And you could apply the same principle to other things that Peter doesn't address as well. I mean, maybe you're a... Uh, Maybe you're a child of a harsh parent, or maybe you have a boss who is really difficult to work for. The point is, we all are involved in relationships that involve uh, authority structures, and where it's tempting for me to say, hey, I don't have to listen 
to that guy, you know, what a bum, my boss doesn't know what he's talking about, the president is clueless, and so on. But Peter says, submit to every human authority because of the Lord. And the very first example that he gives is governing authorities. He says, submit uh, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors as those sent out by him. So it doesn't matter if we're talking about the highest ranking government official, the emperor like Caesar or like our president, or we're talking about uh, a lower government official, uh, governors like uh, Pontius Pilate in the Bible, our mayors and congressmen. It doesn't matter. Peter says, submit to them all. And in the course of the verses that follow, he lays out uh, two plans for us. First, he lays out God's plan for government. Why does it exist? What is its purpose? And second, we see what is God's plan for us in relating to the government. In other words, seeing that the government does exist, how am I supposed to act? What am I supposed to do? How do I view it? So first we look at God's plan for government, and it might come as a surprise to some of us that God has a plan for government in the first place because we're used to thinking of government as a necessary evil, right? It's something we have to deal with because otherwise our lives would be like the East Coast after Sandy where we would have looting and crime and all sorts of things like that. Government is basically bad, but it keeps even worse things from happening, so I'll learn to live with it. But the Bible does not see government as a necessary evil because it doesn't see it as evil in the first place. It's hard uh, reading through the Bible not to be impressed by what a biblical idea human government is. Even from the very beginning, what does God tell Adam and Eve? He says, fill the earth and subdue it. God says, you are my representatives. You have authority to govern this earth that I've created. And the authority that you have reflects the authority that I ultimately have as its creator. So human government has its power because God entrusts his authority to it. Remember, uh, remember Jesus when he was on trial, the crowd is shouting, crucify him, crucify him, and Pilate asks him a few questions and Jesus uh, says nothing in response. And Pilate says to him, don't you realize I have the power either to free you or to crucify you? And what does Jesus say in response? He says, you would have no power over me were it not given to you from above. In other words, yes, it's true, you do have power, but the power is not because of who you are in yourself. It's given to you from God. And that's why Peter refers to, uh, refers to the authorities as every human authority in verse 13. Or some translations say, submit to every human creature, because government leaders are merely men and women just like us. Their authority is not found in themselves, but it comes from God. And because their authority comes from God, it doesn't make any sense to see the government as evil in itself. Right? Peter sees the civil government as doing the opposite of what Satan does. Satan encourages you to do evil. Government is charged with punishing evil. Satan tries to stop you from doing good. The government wants to praise you for doing good. It wouldn't make any sense for Peter to say, I want you to submit to every authority that's controlled by Satan. Satan wants us to believe that human government is under his control, but that is not taught anywhere in the Bible. Of course, 
Satan can influence members of the government and individuals, that's true, but he is not in control. Civil government is not by its nature evil. It's God's plan that there be government. But what does he intend for it to do? What is uh, the purpose in the first place? And we just mentioned a couple of things there in verse 14. It's to punish those who do what is evil and to praise those who do what is good. And that word for punish is the same word that the Bible uses when it talks about uh, vengeance belonging to God. In other words, uh, government has a responsibility not only to deter evil from happening and to deter crime, but government has the responsibility actually to bring God's punishment to bear on the wrongdoer. It has the right to seek retribution. It has the duty to seek retribution. So there's a difference between the government's responsibility and my own responsibility as an individual, right? If you come over to my house this afternoon and you know, smash my TV to pieces, uh, I would be upset, although uh, Julie might not be so upset because then she wouldn't have to watch football tonight, but I would be, I would be upset, uh, but I as an individual don't have the right to come over to your house and get back at you. God hasn't given me that right. But if you come over and smash my TV and instead of me being a pastor, I am a police officer, then I, as the representative of the civil government, do have the right to come over uh, to your house, not you know, to also smash your TV, but to apprehend you and to uh, pursue retribution, to make you pay for what you did. And we should see that as a good thing. Government has been given the authority to punish evil in our world. And along with that comes the flip side, the reverse responsibility, the duty to praise what is good. This week I heard an interview on the radio with uh, this fellow named Captain Scott Smiley, who uh, was over in Iraq and he ran across a bomb and he uh, got some shrapnel in his face and became blind. And now uh, he's refused to retire from the military and he's become uh, the very first active duty blind officer in the army. And for good reason, he was honored by our government with the Bronze Star and with uh, the Purple Heart. So our government promotes the common good by praising those who do what is right. Now, Peter hardly intended to say that rulers always fulfill these purposes perfectly, right? We can all think of examples where our government has not exactly punished what is evil and not exactly uh, praised what is good. But his point is that even oppressive governments hold evil in check to some extent. Even the worst king or the worst president or governor provides some order and some justice, which is better than our society collapsing into total anarchy. And so our task is to continue to support government even as we seek to correct it because uh, certain particular sins and shortcomings do not vacate the authority that God has given to government. And the fact that God has given these responsibilities to government of punishing evil and praising uh, what is good, that means that we owe a debt of gratitude to those among us who work for uh, work for the government. So whether you work in uh, the military or in civil government service, and we have members of our uh, church family here in Highland Park who do uh, work in both areas, we are grateful to you, and you should be encouraged knowing that what you do at your job 
actually in part reflects the authority that God has over his world. Well, if that is God's plan for government, what then uh, is his plan for us? And the first element is right there at the beginning of our passage, obviously. Submit to every human authority because of the Lord. So since God has established these structures of authority, it's his will that we submit to them. Now, some, uh, some translators paraphrase Peter's words here and say something like, uh, you should respect government or you should be considerate of authority, something like that. And there is some truth in that, but submission certainly involves more than just respecting somebody. It must also include obedience to that authority. And Peter says there are two reasons why we not only should respect the governing authorities, but that we also should obey them. And his first reason is submit because of the Lord. Do it on account of the Lord. In other words, have the big picture in mind. You're not just submitting to the government because you like the government so much. You're submitting for Jesus' sake, for a larger purpose. So, for example, I could imagine a situation, and I'm not in this situation myself, but I could imagine a situation where for the sake of your spouse and your marriage, you agree to live uh, in harmony with your in-laws, even though you might not want to. If it was just you and them, uh, you might be a little more eager to say what you really think. But because you have the big picture of your married life in mind, uh, you take a different and a wiser approach. And that's a little bit like our relationship to government. If, If God weren't involved, I might you know, pick and choose a little more what laws I bothered to obey. I might speak in a more demeaning way about government leaders. But for the sake of Christ, for the sake of someone else, I submit. He's established this authority for my benefit, and it's out of deference to him, not to the government, that I submit. And that raises uh, the same question for us as it did for Peter's readers, and that's the government doesn't really seem to be on the same page as God a lot of the time. In fact, it seems to be quite ungodly much of the time. Do I still need to submit, or am I free to disobey a a government that is noticeably pagan? Well, surprisingly, the answer is no. Peter doesn't make any qualifications. He doesn't say, submit to godly institutions. He says, submit to every human institution. So, The Roman government need not be allied to the one true God to be a legitimate government. And the American government need not be allied to God to be a legitimate government. We don't submit because the government is godly. We submit on account of the Lord. It's something that glorifies Christ. It's because Christ, not Caesar, is Lord that we submit. It's because we ultimately owe our obedience to Christ, not to the government, that we live as good citizens. Well, a second reason for submitting is found a little further in verse 15. And Peter says this, For it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. So our obedience has uh, an apologetic function in a way. Think uh, Think about the situation of the Roman Christians in Peter's day. Their neighbors would have thought them to be a very peculiar and foolish people because the Christians refused to take part in a simple and what most people would have thought was just 
a meaningless patriotic ceremony, the ceremony of emperor worship. And so people viewed Christians with some suspicion. Why won't they do this thing that really doesn't mean anything to any of us? Maybe they're trying to subvert the government in some way. And so Christians became the victims of a slander. And Peter suggests if Christians are seen instead as supporting the government, then their neighbors aren't going to have the opportunity to slander them, and they're not going to have the opportunity to slander Christ. So it's in our nature as Christians to be good citizens. That means that as Christians we are law-abiding. It means, yes, that we are uh, tax-paying. Think of how revolutionary it was for Jesus to say, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. It was totally surprising to his, uh, to his audience. But Peter challenges us not just to do the bare minimum. He says in verse, uh, in verse 15, it is God's will that you silence the foolish people by doing good, which almost certainly means going above and beyond mere duty. So it could be uh, joining the military, serving in uh, office, anything to show that you support government as an institution used by God. That includes for all of us praying regularly for government. Paul says in 1 Timothy, I urge you to pray and to intercede for kings and all those in authority. And think about it, it would be hard for someone to accuse Christians of subverting the government when we're regularly lifting them up in prayer. That wouldn't make any sense. So we submit because Jesus is Lord, and we submit to give Christ a good name in our community. And Peter closes with one final set of instructions in verse 17. He says four things. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. And the question we need to ask for our purposes here is, how does the instruction about the emperor compare to the three that come before it? You will notice we're told to honor the emperor, which is the same thing as we're supposed to do at the very beginning to all people. So in what apparently is mild irony, Peter has put the emperor, you know, the Caesar, on the same level as you know, the everyday person. The emperor is not worthy of the fear that we owe to God. He's not worthy of the love that we owe to the brotherhood of believers. Christians have obligations to the state, but our obligations to God and the brotherhood of believers are much higher. Our duty to earthly authority is limited. And that, of course, means that our call to submit to the government does occasionally have exceptions because our responsibility is to obey only insofar as the government doesn't force us to disobey the law of God. So, for example, if uh, there were a law that said we weren't allowed to gather here together and worship Christ, uh, we would be obligated to obey God instead, and in doing so, we would be obligated to suffer the consequences. Uh, Many of us here have been reading uh, the recent biography of Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German pastor and Nazi resistor. And uh, I just read the section this week, and he finds out that uh, Jews are no longer, Christian Jews, converted Jews, are no longer allowed to serve as pastors in the German church. He says, I'm sorry, but it's wrong for me to be involved in a church that are excluding my brothers and sisters in Christ, these Jewish Christians. And so he chooses to disobey and break away from 
uh, the state church. And it's because ultimately our loyalty belongs to God, not to Caesar, not to our government. But I suspect that if most of us were really honest, it's not this first meaning of Peter's instruction that we have the most trouble with. Because most of us are all too happy to look for exceptions and look for good reasons not to obey and not to do as we're told. But verse 17 not only has a negative meaning, the meaning we just talked about, don't put government above God, it also has a positive meaning, and it's honor the emperor, period. We owe our honor to government leaders. How many of us show disrespect because we disagree with our government authorities' political views or because we find their conduct to be morally reprehensible? How many of us would actually be eager to sit down for a cup of coffee with a president with whom we vehemently disagreed? Or do we think, I wouldn't be caught dead in a room with that guy? Peter says, it's true, your government leaders are not to be worshipped. They're not to be put on a pedestal above God. That's true. They are merely human. But, he says, it's God's plan to use government to bless his people, to bless us with safety and with order and with justice. And for that reason, submit, obey for the Lord's sake, but also honor, honor the emperor. Respect your political leaders. Value them. It means honoring our political allies and even our political opponents because they, too, are a blessing from God. They're wonderful evidence in our lives of his care for us and his provision for us. So we join together today on this Veterans Day not just uh, thanking our veterans and those who work in civil government, although we certainly do that, but we ultimately joins together in thanking God for the institutions that he has put in place in our lives that are evidence of his love for us and his care for us. And it's those institutions for which we are immensely grateful uh, this morning. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, we do thank you and praise you for the way you have, uh, you have ordered our world so that uh, chaos and uh, injustice and Suffering is uh, minimized to some extent because of uh, the leaders that you have put in place. We ask now that you would humble our hearts uh, this week and moving forward, that we would know that we serve you alone, but that you have chosen to put these leaders in place for our benefit. We thank you for that. We thank you for how you love and care for us through each of them, and we thank you for uh, each of their service this morning. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen. As followers of Christ.